Section 23 of The Wars of the Roses by Robert Balmain Mowat. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Chapter 18. The Troubled Years of King Edward. Part 1. When Henry VI was captured and put in the tower, King Edward had been crowned for some four years. During that period, he had been King of England, south of the Trent, and of certain outposts in the north. Now he was acknowledged sovereign from the Channel to the Tweed, and this happy consummation was largely due to the exertions and ability of the three Neville brothers, Richard, Earl of Warwick, John, Earl of Northumberland, George, Archbishop of York. King Edward was a young man of twenty-four years, and through him these statesmen had ruled England. There is considerable probability that had he been content to continue this arrangement, the Wars of the Roses might have ended here, and England might have been governed in peace and quietness to the end of his life. Edward, however, either from policy or from carelessness, soon involved himself in a struggle with the Nevilles. Strong, unbending men as these were, Edward proved the stronger. But it took six years for the contest to be fought out before the Nevilles were finally reduced, and Edward raised himself to autocratic greatness. The first prominent indication that the king was taking a line of his own was the Woodville marriage. The circumstances of this were peculiar. It was a secret marriage, nor was it of the kind that might be expected to strengthen Edward's position. His advisers all hoped that he would marry some princess of an established dynasty who would bring with her the approval of some powerful sovereign and perhaps some material support. People wondered, too, that the king remained so long unmarried, and they feared that he might be getting into evil ways. The truth is that before the North was finally won, Edward was already married. Toward the end of April, 1464, he and the court were proceeding to the seat of war in the north in a leisurely fashion from London. The court lay at Stony Stratford, and from there, on May 1st, Edward went secretly and alone, or with only one or two attendants, to Grafton, about five miles away, where lived Antony Woodville, Lord Rivers, and his wife Jaquetta, widow of the great John, Duke of Bedford, the hero of Henry VI's minority. Their daughter was Elizabeth, widow of Sir John Grey, who had died fighting for the Lancastrian cause at the Second Battle of St. Albans. The ceremony of marriage between Edward and Elizabeth was performed at Grafton before witnesses. The king thereupon immediately returned to the court at Stony Stratford. During the next week, in the intervals of hunting in Witchwood Forest, he saw his wife several times without the knowledge of the courtiers but the affairs of politics called him elsewhere, and it was not till the Northern War was completely over that he had leisure to arrange for the public recognition of his wife. The marriage was not publicly announced till September 29th of the same year, 1464. The occasion was a great council of the peers, summoned to Reading to transact certain business of government, such as proclaiming a new and debased coinage. The king's announcement must have been a blow to the Earl of Warwick, who hoped for a great French marriage for the king, but he made the best of the matter now that it was done. In the church of the great abbey of Reading, Elizabeth, 
led forward by the Duke of Clarence and the Earl of Warwick, was openly honoured as Queen by all the peers assembled. Finally, in December, the Great Council again met at Westminster, where, with the assent of the peers, the Queen Elizabeth was assigned lands and lordships to the value of 4,000 marks. Elizabeth is represented as a comely and virtuous woman, and it cannot be denied that she made a good wife to the king. She was five years older than him. Her late husband was an attainted Lancastrian. Her father had been a prominent opponent of the king's father, Richard of York. The marriage was not popular in the country, and it was a great shock to the old nobility when they saw the former steward of the Duke of Bedford raised from the position of a parvenu peer to be father-in-law of the king. Indeed, for Lord Rivers himself, the marriage of his daughter brought little fortune. It gained him the hatred of powerful nobles and eventually cost him his head. But King Edward went along his own way regardless of the nobles muttering. He made a great marriage for John Woodville, brother of Elizabeth. John, who was only twenty years old, was in January 1465 married to Catherine, the wealthy dowager Duchess of Norfolk, aged 80 years. A diabolical marriage, adds William of Worcester. The lady had been already three times married and was the grandmother of the existing Duke of Norfolk. On Ascension Day, Thursday, May 23rd, Edward created a large number of knights in honor of his queen. He took care to include several citizens of London in the number. Next day, the aldermen and citizens met her at Shooter's Hill and brought her through Southwark to the Tower of London. On Saturday, she rode in a horse litter with the new knights preceding her through Cheapside and the main streets of London to Westminster. On Sunday, she was crowned queen by Thomas Birchier, Archbishop of Canterbury. For the next four years, the kingdom remained without any serious disturbance. The country was not yet relieved from the evils of livery and maintenance, which had disturbed the peace under the Lancastrians. The Paston letters still testified to a condition of insecurity and defiance of the law in Norfolk. But even in this, the weakest period of Edward IV, these evils, although still existing, were less prominent than in the decade which preceded his accession. At least they made much less figure in the annals of the time. It is true that the forms of law were neglected. No parliament was held from the beginning of 1465 to June 1467. But the very strictness and arbitrary cruelty of the royal officials show a determination to keep the peace, although the cost might be too heavy for the country. Attempts were made to secure the Yorkist position abroad. As far back as 1462, March 22nd, Pope Pius II had congratulated Edward on his accession to the throne. In May 1465, the Earl of Warwick had led an embassy to the heir of Burgundy, Charles of Charolais, to win him over from the party of Queen Margaret. But Charles, who personally disliked Warwick, refused to be won over. The Earl was more successful with Louis XI of France, who renewed the existing truce for two more years. Next year, in February 1466, the Queen gave birth to a daughter, to whom the name Elizabeth was given. The Earl of Warwick stood godfather to her. 
but he was no longer the one man in the kingdom that Edward must rely on. The king was establishing a new system of families around the crown. He arranged splendid marriages for three sisters of the queen. Henry, Duke of Buckingham, married one, to the secret displeasure of the Earl of Warwick. The next sister was married to the son and heir of the Earl of Essex, the third to the son and heir of the Earl of Kent. A fourth sister, Margaret, apparently the eldest after the queen, had in October 1464 been betrothed to the heir of the Earl of Arundel. In March 1466, the father of the queen, Lord Rivers, was made treasurer of the realm in place of Walter Blunt, Lord Mountjoy, again to the secret displeasure of the Earl of Warwick. At Easter, which the king spent at Windsor, he raised his father-in-law to the position of Earl, to the honor of the queen and the displeasure of the commons of the realm. Next year, Rivers was made High Constable of England. The establishing of all the Woodvilles was further advanced by the marriage in September of the Queen's remaining sister Mary to the son and heir of Lord Herbert. The bridegroom was honoured by the King with the barony of Dunster. This also displeased Warwick. In truth, the King's action was rather insulting, as the Earl himself had a claim to the barony of Dunster. Finally, in October, the Woodville alliances were completed by the marriage at Greenwich of Sir Thomas Grey, son of the Queen's first marriage and stepson of King Edward, to the Lady Anne, heiress of the Duke of Exeter. This was the worst blow of all, for Warwick had intended that she should marry his own nephew, the son of John Neville, Earl of Northumberland. There were now eight separate peerages in the Queen's family, namely those of her father, five sisters, her son, and her brother Antony, who was Lord Scales through his marriage with the heiress of that unfortunate nobleman. The month of June brought another blow to the Neville family. Parliament met on June 3, 1467. The Chancellor, George Neville, Archbishop of York, was unwell and temporarily unable to perform his duties. King Edward took the opportunity to go with Lord Herbert, the king's most intimate friend, to the lodging of the archbishop outside the bars of Westminster, and to relieve him of his office. For thirteen days the great seal was held in commission, and after that it was given to Dr. Robert Stillington, Bishop of Bath. The breach between King Edward and the Nevilles was widening the king more and more was taking a line of his own. Warwick believed that security for England lay in alliance with her old enemy, the powerful and consolidated kingdom of France. For this alliance, Louis XI showed himself not merely willing, but eager. But King Edward and the Woodvilles aimed at renewing the old alliance of England with Flanders, that is to say, with the Duke of Burgundy. Charles of Charolais was gradually giving up his Lancastrian sympathies. On May 10, 1467, his half-brother Antony, the great bastard of Burgundy, came to London on a special embassy to the English court. The object of his visit was stated to be that he desired to meet the valiant Antony Woodville, Lord Scales, in tournament. But affairs of state were considered along with the affairs of chivalry, the bastard, 
stayed till the latter part of June, and after Parliament assembled in June, he met his adversary, Lord Scales, on two successive days in the lists at Smithfield. In the end, King Edward, as judge, decided that the honours were equal. The tournament continued for two more days when suddenly news arrived at London that Philip, Duke of Burgundy, was dead. The bastard instantly hastened back to Bruges with all his following. Before he went, he seems to have made the necessary arrangements for the English alliance. While the bastard of Burgundy was in England, Warwick was over in France negotiating at Rouen for an English alliance with Louis XI, who came in person to confer with him. The French king showed him every honour, gave him apartments in a convent next to the royal residence, and had a private passage opened in the wall which separated them, so that the negotiations might be carried on secretly and easily. The two statesmen seemed to have reached a complete agreement when they parted from each other on June 18th. Warwick came to England, as it seems, just too late to meet the bastard of Burgundy. With him he brought a splendid body of French ambassadors, including the Archbishop of Narbonne and the bastard of Bourbon, the Admiral of France. It was a striking occasion, and King Edward took the opportunity to humiliate Warwick, and by his treatment of the French ambassadors to show Louis XI how little the new King of England cared for the politic King of France. The French ambassadors were honorably housed in London in Fleet Street in the lodging of the Bishop of Salisbury. To King Edward, in the only audience which they had with him, they offered a formal alliance with Louis against the party of Burgundy, and as a bribe, Louis offered to submit Edward's title to Normandy and Aquitaine to the arbitration of the Pope, to be finally decided within four years. Until a decision could be given, Edward was to receive 4,000 marks a year from France. But King Edward would have none of it. He left for Windsor July 6th, and the French ambassadors were left to kick their heels in London for a month, expecting a definite answer from Edward and listening to the explanations of the Earl of Warwick, who was now as powerless to bring the king to close quarters as they were. When they returned to France without a definite answer from Edward, it can only have been with bitter feelings against the Yorkist monarch, feelings which the Earl of Warwick must also have shared. The Burgundian alliance was all but completed. It had been arranged that Margaret of York, King Edward's sister, should marry Charles of Burgundy, who, having succeeded to his father's duchy, was ready for alliance with England. For he was already in that hostility with Louis XI, which was to endure almost continuously throughout his brief and tempestuous reign. As a man of Lancastrian sympathies and descent, he felt a natural repugnance to making a Yorkist marriage, but the alliance had so many political advantages that his scruples soon gave way. On October 1st, 1467, a great council of peers was held at Kingston-upon-Thames, and Margaret, in the presence of the lords, gave her consent to the marriage. Warwick was not present. He was at his castle of Middleham in Yorkshire. About the same time, a messenger of Queen Margaret was captured in Wales, carrying dispatches to the heroic garrison of Harlech, which was still holding out. 
when brought to London to be examined, he accused Warwick of intrigues with the party of Margaret. Warwick successfully cleared himself, but King Edward thought it advisable to raise a bodyguard for himself of two hundred horse archers. Their pay was fixed at eightpence a day. It was clear that there was real tension between the young king and the earl. After Christmas, which the king and queen spent at Coventry, the Archbishop of York, George Neville, brought his brother Warwick to the king, and a formal reconciliation took place. In October, Pope Paul II had sent letters intimating that he had made the Archbishop of Canterbury, Thomas Birchier, a cardinal. The king, to whom the letters according to law and custom were delivered in the first instance, jokingly handed them on to the Archbishop of York, with a charge to explain what was in them. Abroad, danger seemed to be threatening the Yorkist dynasty from Louis XI. In May 1468, Edward announced to Parliament his intention of next year leading in person an expedition against France. Queen Margaret was beginning to take hope again. Early in June, about the same time Parliament was dissolved, another secret Lancastrian messenger was arrested, at Queenborough this time, bearing important letters. The unhappy man, whose name was Cornelius, a cobbler, was taken to the Tower of London where his feet were burned till he confessed his knowledge of the Lancastrian plots. A number of men were implicated, mostly people of no great prominence, but among them was a servant of Lord Wenlock. Wenlock had fought well for the Yorkist cause, but was really a man of the Earl of Warwick. In July, a commission sat to consider the confession. The commissioners were the chief justices of England and some others, including the Duke of Clarence and the Earl of Warwick. As a result, most of the people indicted were acquitted or pardoned, but Lord Wenlock's servant was found guilty of treason, and before he could disclose anything more about his master, was promptly hanged. End of section 23